This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we present our December music special, focusing on the effects of rap music on social movements in Cuba, Puerto Rico, and Mexico. But first, our roundup of this week's news highlights from around Latin America. Vanessa Jesus Gonzati is away for the holidays, so Lydia Bayoud will be sitting in for several weeks to deliver the news. U.S. President Barack Obama criticized Venezuela's record on human rights and its ties to Iran in an interview published in the Caracas newspaper El Universal. Obama cited concerns over the government's actions in restricting human rights and democracy in Venezuela and threatening the region's security through its relationship with Iran. President Hugo Chavez responded by calling Obama a phony and his remarks a ploy to win American votes by criticizing Venezuela. Obama, take care of your own business and focus on governing your country, which you've turned into a disaster. Now you're looking for votes by attacking Venezuela. Do not be so irresponsible. You're a phony, Obama. You're a phony. Experts say they expect a continued escalation in rhetoric between the U.S. and Venezuela in 2012, an election year in both countries. The city of Veracruz, Mexico, disbanded its entire police force this week. The Mexican Navy and Marines are patrolling the city in their place. State officials say that more than 1,200 police and administrative officials were fired due to rampant corruption in the force. Some may reapply for their positions if they can meet stricter standards of training and integrity. Veracruz is the first state to completely purge a large police department and use Marines as law enforcement. The Gulf state has witnessed a major increase in drug violence this year after a government offensive in Tamaulipas pushed drug criminals into Veracruz. Retired Guatemalan General Efrain Rios Montt could be served with an arrest warrant in his home country for allegations of genocide. Rios Montt presented himself to the Attorney General this week to request a copy of the complaint of war crimes brought against him by survivors of Guatemala's civil war. The former de facto president of Guatemala said he came voluntarily to avoid the scandal of a public arrest. Rios Montt told reporters that his government had committed no crimes and only sought to impose law and order in the country. The public ministry has been aggressive in charging and convicting former members of the military for crimes against humanity during Rios Montt's administration. Peru's Prime Minister Oscar Valdez has abandoned talks with protesters in a northern Andean region over a controversial mining project. This comes just days after Peru's president lifted a state of emergency in Cajamarca after local leaders agreed to dialogue and to halt their protests. Regional President Gregorio Santos urged the Prime Minister to return to the negotiating table. Cajamarca's residents are concerned that the multi-billion dollar gold operations of American Newmont Mining Corporation will pollute the water supply that sustains them. There is currently no word on when talks may resume. The World Bank has declared that poverty in Latin America fell significantly despite the impacts of the global economic crisis. Experts noted that declines in inequality throughout the hemisphere contributed most to reducing poverty over the last five years. While reduced earnings by men did slow that decline, World Bank expert Louise Cord said that income from working women was the most important factor in reducing poverty. Cord says the exceptions to this trend were Mexico and Central America, which have some of the lowest rates of working women. For Latin Pulse, I'm Lydia Bayoud.
Thanks, Lydia. And now our December music special. This program is a sequel of sorts to our exploration of music and social movements in Latin America from last month. Just a word of warning. This program like that one will deal with the sensitive topic of race and will include song lyrics in English and Spanish that some may find graphic and offensive. Anthropologist Katrin Hensing of City University of New York is back. She's working on a book about music and youth culture in Cuba. Last month, she introduced us to Cuban rap and discussed how the music is influencing politics and society on the island. The rappers she discussed included Los Aldeanos. The Orishas. and Hermanos de Causa, sometimes referred to as El Cuartel. We also heard the music of one of Cuba's first rap groups, Primera Base. And now more from Katrin Hansing. Hip-hop in Cuba is, is really a product of this special period or this economic crisis in that the crisis, you know, which came in the early 90s and really happened very, very quickly when the Soviet Union stopped its subsidies to Cuba uh, and and by default, left Cuba in the cold, and and people very quickly started having no food, no medicine, no light, no nothing. Uh, and this, these kids I'm looking at now are a product of that period, right? And and through the economic crisis, which um, got worse and worse and worse, and then at some point in the mid to late 90s, started to be alleviated a little bit by the legalization of the U.S. dollar, by tourism, and and some other forms of foreign currency coming in, Um, however, brought about or um, allowed to have a number of socioeconomic, but particularly social ills that were already present in, in Cuban society, but let's sort of say semi dormant. Uh, reappear. And of of the many, racial prejudices and racism was one of those. Um, so what's happened in the last 15 to 20 years is that we've seen a resurgence of more overt racism and racial prejudices in the public. Um, and so what's happened over now the last decade and a half is that illegal activities um, have once again become more associated in sort of the public um, discourse uh, as being something that Afro-Cubans do. So, by default, criminality, prostitution is something that in the public imagination is something that is done more by Afro-Cubans bec- because that's their nature. And I say this sort of, you know, uh, in quotation marks, um, and because there is no public debate about race in Cuba, the public 
dominant discourses still we're all Cuban, we're all the same, we're all revolutionary. Um, there is this discrepancy between the dominant political discourse and the reality. When we think about Cuba, we think about a closed society. Um, in the United States, people would say an authoritarian society. And so it's surprising, I think, for our audience to hear about these growth of subcultures mm. like this and that the authorities would allow this to happen. Or have they allowed it to happen as a way for people to have that bread and circuses model mm -hmm. of this is how they blow off steam, um, this is really not a threat to us politically, it's all right culturally? Well, it's a bit of all of, uh, all of that and more in that, first of all, you know, like every movement, particularly the hip-hop movement, but also the Rastafari movement, which are the two, I would say, most important movements among young kids of African descent now. This is these two movements, and there are others too, but particularly Rastafari and, and hip-hop are two ways in which more and more young Afro-Cubans are mm, getting involved in in order to make sense of what it means to be black in Cuba um, in a more complex way and to also identify themselves positively with their blackness. When these movements started in, in, the, in, the, in the early 90s uh, and started growing, the state at the beginning you know, didn't really interfere because um, at the beginning, like in any kind of social movement situation, it was it was fairly disorganized and 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 so on and so forth. But it was, you know, by the mid to late 90s, more and more kids were were jumping on board, and you could visibly see it. Uh, and they were having all these underground parties and uh, meetings, and you know, it was becoming much more visible to to the public eye that there was, you know, something going on. And in the case of hip-hop, um, which w became a much more vocal, um, also politically speaking, critical voice um, than Rastafari and others, partly because, and this is interesting about rap, and this is why actually this particular genre of music and and movement on a global level have become so popular all over the world, not just in Cuba, is because, you know, it's a very democratic way of expressing yourself. You don't need, everybody can rap. You don't need instruments. You don't need any sophisticated, expensive equipment. All you need is basically some background music and, and your own voice and a message. That rhymes. <laughs> that rhymes. And... And so that's something that, with a little bit of, you know, time and effort, anybody can do. Um, and so it's accessible as a medium to basically everybody from any social background, vis-a-vis -vis other youth movements that have kind of some kind of music to, to go along with it, like reggae for Rastas, where, yes, they usually need instruments. They need to have a sense of rhythm and beat and, you know, all that stuff that comes with it, which actually assumes a little bit more sophistication and knowledge. And that is not the case with rap. So everybody can become a rapper, and that's exactly what happened in Cuba. I mean, it just mushroomed all over the island. And so when that started happening, 
and it became a force to be reckoned with and gradually also more and more people became more, say, emboldened to also rap about things that had been semi-taboo, particularly on issues of race and and politics for forever. Um, this is when when the genre became, I guess, a thorn in the in the state's eye, and they actually tried to control it. And in particular, what happened with with the hip hop movement in Cuba is that the Cuban state, and this is a very typical tactic. Uh, tried to to control it. They didn't ban it. They didn't outlaw it. But they decided to actually, um, you know, incorporate it into their um, cultural ministry by creating what in, in, in Cuba is called La Agencia de Rap, the Rap Agency. Um, and it was, you know, a very, very smart move on their part to be able to control um these kids and also their message so if you want to work in cuba you have to be a member um but if you're a member you have to play by the rules which means you you know your your music has to go through the censors you play um, where they tell you to play. I mean, you can say, you know, I've got a gig in this place or this hotel or whatever, but they also tell you, you know, you have to play at such and such a place next week um, in order to get your salary. So it comes with these conditions. Now, in Cuba, a lot of these kids have no other way of making a living, and they also are young and starstruck and, you know, um, interested in, in having a job and being seen and heard, etc. So a lot of kids started and still are involved in this agency. But what's also happened is that a lot from their experience of being in the, the, the rap agency or just figuring it out on their own or hearing about it have figured out that you know the, the, the conditionalities or the conditions put on you to be part of it are not worth um, basically giving up the larger ma message that people identify with being a rapper or a hip-hop artist. Uh, so now what you have are two groups of rappers. You have those that are associated with the agency, and then you have what is called you know, the underground rap movement, which are artists who basically have figured out a way to record in a home studio which there are many of in Cuba, um, for you know, cheap, and then just sell CDs on the streets or through the help of a foreign friend, you know, get it out and put it on the internet, etc. Um, but it's interesting because that underground movement is actually where the more interesting messages in terms of, of, of content are coming out of, right? In terms of a critique of um, issues around race, um, the economic situation, um, the inequalities that are becoming more and more visible, um, the whole issue around censorship. Siento de profundo por tu racismo, ya no me confundo con tu ironía, y lloro sin que sepas que el llanto mío tiene lágrimas negras como mi vida. Siento de profundo. Cuba has a very sophisticated security apparatus, which people are very, very aware of. 
um, and that limits um, people's ability to organize on a collective level, um, partly also because part of the security apparatus strategy is that they have a lot of people working from them for them on a on a sort of grassroots civilian level. So you never know who, even amongst your neighbors or family members, is working for the secret police. And that um, has bred a lot of distrust over the last five decades. So as Cuban state security carefully watches the rap movement, Latin Pulse pushes on to other locales, the inspirational rappers of Puerto Rico and Mexico, when we return. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. This week, as part of this music special looking at the effects of rap music in Latin America, we interviewed the hosts of NPR's music podcast, Out Latino. They have a new program online this week about Latin American and Latino protest music. Here are excerpts from our discussion with Felix Contreras and Jasmine Garst about various musical groups, including Puerto Rico's influential rappers, Calle 13. They're well known for many, uh, many, many songs. Um, their most recent one is uh, Latino America uh, from, from their uh, most recent album. And it's, it's the one that really, in, 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 the, in the Latin Grammys this year, it pushed them to win a record-breaking number of, of Latin Grammys, nine. It was really their year, but I, I picked the song Querido FBI, or Dear FBI, because it's the first Calle 13 song I ever heard, um, and that was in 2005. And I, um, I remember just thinking, wow, who are these guys? Because they're so angry, and they're so good lyrically, and um, they're so controversial. This song, uh, Querido FBI, or Dear FBI, um, they released it on the internet uh, before they released their first album in 2005. And uh, they uh, released it 30 hours after the death of uh, the Puerto Rican um, revolutionary leader uh, Filiberto Ojeda Rios. 
And Filiberto Gila Rios was a really controversial guy. He was the commander in chief of um, the uh, the Puerto Rican uh, independence movement. And um, they were in the middle. Calle 13 was in the middle of recording their first album when um, he was killed in an FBI raid. Um, now the FBI had considered him a fugitive for about 15 years, and um, he was a controversial figure. Some considered him a terrorist. He was on the FBI's most wanted list, and um, others, you know, he was uh, part of this uh, Puerto Rican independence movement. And um, the timing of the raid also coincided with the anniversary of the first ever revolt attempt against Spain by Puerto Rico. So a lot of people saw it as kind of like a cautionary message. And uh, the whole song is about how controversial the killing of uh, Filiberto Ojeda Rios was in Puerto Rico. I mean, to the point that um, the Puerto Rican Justice Department even filed a suit in federal court against the FBI and against the U.S. Attorney General, uh, kind of saying, why weren't we informed that you guys were going to come in here and, and kill this dude? Uh, we understand he's on the most wanted list, but why didn't we get a heads up? Um, you know, and Gajetrese got their fair share of, of criticism over the song. Uh, you know, kind of saying, like, why are you so up in arms about this guy who's a terrorist being killed? Um, and, you know, a lot of people felt that the song incited violence against the authorities. <laughs> I remember when I heard it, a, a Puerto Rican co-worker of mine sent it to me. And when I heard it, I just thought, wow, these guys are on fire. It was just a breath of fresh air in, in this world of reggaeton. These guys are turning heads, and they're making people, people who were raised with a different tradition, who may not even ever listen to reggaeton, and may, not, and may have seen their name, but they're making people pay attention because their message is so profound. And I, I just, I'm fascinated by these guys and how they, they're still young guys, but they're very smart. And I wouldn't say, calculating is not a good word, but they're not, they're doing all the right things and doing and saying all the right things. And at such a young age, did you, if they keep doing it like this, you're just going to get better. Iconic. It, it yeah. just, it's just going to get better and better. Ceci Bastida. That's perfect. Okay, with Have You Heard, which, um, tell me if I'm wrong, this is an anti-narco carido. That is correct. Um, Ceci Bastida, this is a song that she performs uh, featuring uh, the rapper Rai Rai. I can see how it can be um, confusing when you first hear it because it's kind of like a, a kid's song, you know? Like there's like a... a it's a nursery rhyme. Yeah, it's a nursery rhyme style. She's uh, rapping over it and singing over it about narcos. And uh, Ceci Bastida, uh, just some, some background, uh, she came up in Tijuana, Mexico. And um, she, uh, she was in the iconic uh, Tijuana punk band, Tijuana No, that's the name of the band. And we also had her on the show recently, and we talked to her about this song. 
And, and we kind of asked, you know, what's up with doing a song、um, which is essentially a nursery rhyme, but you're also talking about the medical war, which is kind of consuming Mexico right now. And、uh, she said, well, the reason I wanted to do it that way, that paradox, is because when you come up in a border town, you really see、um, how very young kids. Grow up looking up to and admiring these drug dealers and thinking, like, wow, this dude has a beautiful car and these beautiful women, and look at this lifestyle. And you know, all those guys that you see in the news, you know, 30 guys dead, or all these guys at one point were kids who looked up to other drug dealers. So she wanted to kind of talk about. That horrible paradox. And if you get to catch the video, she、uh, created this video in which it's just like a young Mexican or Mexican American kid. It's his birthday, typical kid's birthday. And it becomes really clear at a certain point in the video that his father and uncles are、uh, not close. And you know, the kid's got his little birthday with the balloons and the cake. And then they give him his birthday present, and it's a gun. And this is like an eight year old kid. It's an assault rifle.、Uh, right. Sorry, I don't know my <laughs> guns. <laughs>、um, but essentially, that's what she's getting at. She's getting at. You know, this is a cycle of violence that starts very, very young. And she kind of grew up in Tijuana seeing all that happen. The interesting part of this, this、uh, song, Rick, is what I think. It's, first of all, it's, it's risky for her to make a song like this, just as it is for any artist there, to take on the, the narco industry and the narco traficantes. It, it's just it's dangerous because people have lost their lives. And I would. I'm, I'm interested to, to see how. I mean, in any other, when you talked about this, the wars in Central America and any other plagues of violence, there's always been artist response. But I have to say that it's been noticeably absent, or at least restrained, when it comes to the plague of violence that's affecting Mexico right now, especially along the border. And specifically because of that, because people, you could lose your life. And. and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see some songs or we'll hear some songs and eventually see artists who speak out either against the government, against the narco industry, against、uh, whoever. Hasn't it actually, in, in Norteño music, hasn't it actually been the opposite that, that there is this tradition of, of、uh, narco corridos, of singing about the, the glories of the, of the drug lords? That's、sure. been the tradition. Yeah, it's, it's, like the, it's the equivalent to、uh, gangster rap, I guess, in a lot of ways, that, that you glorify that. And, and in a lot of ways, maybe that's one way they can continue to make a living and not feel like they're going get, to get killed. There's certainly a lot of artists, you know, especially there's been the government, There's been government pushes, too, to ban those in Mexico. And, and there's been other artists who just stay away from that thing completely. Because it's, it's you hear about some of the guys who do. Corridos being killed. Well, they, they <laughs> sing against the wrong guy. They, it's, <laughs>、yeah. it's, it's just sad. It's really it's sad all the way around.、It's、and it goes back to that question that we were asking about, you know, as an artist, what, what's your responsibility? You know, are, are you, you know,、um, 
are you like this guitar is for hire or right. are you you know what do you just stand by and entertain people and hope everyone can get their minds off of what's happening for a few minutes or do you do you say like look at what's happening here uh, let's think about this our guests this week have included Jasmine Garst and Felix Contreras, the co-hosts of NPR's Alt Latino, and anthropologist Katrin Hansing of City University of New York. Technical assistance provided by both NPR and WAMU-FM, American University's NPR affiliate in Washington, D.C. Also thanks to Toby Schreiner, our sound engineer, for portions of this podcast. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. And now a program note, Latin Pulse will not be online next week due to the holidays. We'll return on January 6th, 2012. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Lydia Bayoud and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Feliz Navidad y buen prospero año. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>